All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Today's guest is legendary head coach, Greg Nelson. Greg has his roots in athletic training and competition. Mr. Nelson is a former University of Minnesota wrestling team member and an All-American high school gymnast. In 1983, he started training in numerous martial arts, obtaining a high level of performance ability and coaching qualifications throughout. Greg is a grappler at heart, and he's the first black belt under 8th degree red and black belt coach, Pedro Sawyer. He's now a 4th degree black belt himself and is the highest ranking Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in the state of Minnesota. Head coach Nelson is well known as one of the best mixed martial arts coaches in the world and his team at the academy have produced numerous world champions and other local, national and international contenders and medal winners. They've dominated in sports such as MMA, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and hold victories within all the major fight organisations worldwide. Mr Nelson and the academy team have also developed three UFC world champions at three different weight classes. Over the years, Mr. Nelson has taught defensive tactics and combatives to a wide variety of local enforcement and military personnel. He's helped create training programs for local, state and federal law enforcement divisions, including the FBI and DEA, amongst others. Mr. Nelson is a combatives consultant to classified US Army Special Force Units and the Navy Special Warfare Development Group, otherwise known as SEAL Team 6. He's very proud to be one of the few civilians selected to work with the military and the soldiers. Although his professional pedigree and success in mixed martial arts is what Greg is well known for, there's nothing he holds more important to him than being a father to his two children, a daughter and a son. Being a two-time cancer survivor, Greg holds health and happiness as job number one. Ultimately, his goal is to improve emotional, mental and physical health and well-being through the practice of martial arts and promote a healthy lifestyle through the people that he coaches. And in this interview, we discuss his story, MMA, coaching, recovering from a serious illness, and realising what is important in life, as well as fighting your way back against life's toughest opponents. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Greg. I really appreciate it. I first became a big fan of yours when I got into mixed martial arts. But for people who may be not aware of who you are, or maybe don't recognise the name, could you just give a quick intro, you know, and explain to people why why you're basically a legend in sport of mixed martial arts? Well, uh, Greg Nelson and pretty much been doing martial arts the majority of my life. Uh, actually, 55 right now, and I started doing martial arts when I was 11. And I wrestled, wrestled all the way up through college. And during uh, really high school is when I got into Filipino martial arts and Jun Fan martial arts. And and right after I graduated, that's when I met Rick Faye, Sifu Rick Faye, and started training with him. And that was 
kind of the opening of all the different martial arts I started doing. Muay Thai, Savat, Penchak, Silat, you know, the obviously the Zhenfa martial arts, Filipino martial arts, Kabikabong from Thailand, and Shuto. And growing up also with Eric Paulson, you know, he, he grew up in Minnesota. So we knew each other as gymnasts first and then uh, as martial artists. And then he moved out to California. And just for me, it's been this is process of developing, you know, skills for fighting. Originally, that's what I got into the martial arts for is that I wanted to be able to fight better. Right? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it became an art and then it became a sport. And uh, now, now we're uh, training fighters and and developing fighters and working with various different law enforcement and military, you know, agencies to develop their ability to defend themselves and to do their jobs better. So it's really just been a lifelong venture to become, you know, a better martial artist and a person who's really involved in kind of maintaining your own health and happiness as you live. I mean, you've trained some amazing people, you know, like world, uh, world champions, like, you know, notable people like Brock Lesnar, Sean Shark, you know, um, Strick, sorry, and like the, the UFC. And, you know, like you said, you're, you've got an amazing facility that trains law enforcement personnel, people to get fit, learning martial arts, competitors. But where did this initially come from? You said there that, you wanted to learn to fight better. Was this just an interest you had, or was there a, like an event that sort of promoted you towards getting into a martial art? You know, I think it was more or less just being a lifelong athlete, and especially being a you know a wrestler. And I I always tell people this: my first real martial arts instructor, out of necessity, was my older brother. He was six years older than me. And so I had to learn how to defend myself because it was just constantly running and getting beat up from him. So I know that feeling. I've got one too. <laughs> exactly. And so he also did Taekwondo and he did boxing, but he never wrestled. And there was a time that that turned around on him and I got him. And I and then I was like, okay, here we go. But that's really was it. I just kind of grew up doing sports and was very active. Uh always well, for a long time, I was getting in trouble a lot in school, just constantly on the move. And, you know, martial arts to me was just like this natural gravitation from wrestling to, you know, you know, fighting. And my brother did it and, you know, kind of just grew into it. So what would you have wanted, like, if if you hadn't turned into that into a career, what would um, the younger Greg have wanted to do when he was a kid? Like what would be the profession of choice? Jeez. Um, well, I mean, I always was an athlete. So that is something that just always I gravitated towards, but I went to the university of Minnesota and I graduated with a degree in interstate diplomacy and uh, interstate relate uh, international relations, interstate diplomacy so I was really into political science and all that other stuff. But you know what? As I tell people, I went to college. I got a, I got a, you know, bachelor's degree. And I said, in reality, I really got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and a PhD in martial arts because that's all I was doing. And somehow I was fitting in uh, studying at the same time, which I don't know how I did that exactly because it seemed like I was training all the time. 
it does get like obsessive, doesn't it? I mean, I started doing jujitsu just because I wanted to meet some new people, take up a physical hobby, because I was doing a kind of very mental job at the time. And two minutes in, you're like, how many? How can I fit in a whole week's worth of training and living and doing a job? And uh, you know, it's just it takes over your life, doesn't it? I mean, and you do an amazing array of martial arts. Was that what attracted you to MMA? Was that cross training? It was a bit of everything. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I just look at my my whole development. I always say what I do is what's called the truly mixed martial arts because I look at it from a weapon standpoint. I look at it from, obviously, just combat athletics, from Thai boxing to shoot wrestling to MMA to Brazilian jiu-jitsu to grappling, wrestling. I still coach high school wrestling, so we – bringing in all those elements, but just having the background in Filipino martial arts and the Jean Fan martial arts and Penchak Silat and going to Thailand and training Kabika Bong, for me, it's all about movement. It's all about developing the ability to have more command over my, my own body. And ultimately, I just enjoy doing a wide variety of martial arts. I've seen a lot of my, my peers who did the Jean Fan martial arts, did Filipino martial arts, did Thai boxing. And then, you know, obviously they found jujitsu and it's like they kind of threw everything out and just focused 100% on jujitsu, which is awesome. That's what they wanted to do. But man, for many, many, many years, they were doing all of them. And for me, I've just, I just have always liked doing all the different martial arts. So what's been your opinion recently of like the the coolness of mixed martial arts? You know, how it seems every celebrity is doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu now or everybody's a UFC fan and things like that. When you first got into sort of the UFC, MMA, that sort of thing and martial arts, what did you find like the evolution of it as a coach? You know, how have you found the the you know the cool side of it becoming now and how everybody's getting into it what was your impressions of it when you first kind of started training people and competing well when we first started competing it wasn't called mixed martial arts it was no holds barred mm. and you could still yeah. headbutt you could still pull hair you could still attack the groin i mean it was literally as close to a fight a real fight as possible i mean obviously you couldn't eye gouge and do something like that but i mean you could still headbutt and, and pull hair and hit to the groin i mean it was it was a little bit crazy no weight classes at first and then and so you're looking at this as just a purely kind of almost like in a scientific way okay we're going to just learn how to fight better and now we got this avenue where we can compete against other people who want to do the same thing and see who comes out on top and that's kind of what originally we we did it for and then slowly we started doing shoot shoot wrestling which was kind of like the first organized you know way of of getting a tournament together we we've you know then in the 80s they were doing that in japan and they had you know sometimes they had shin guards on other times they didn't you know so they had kind of a, a level that they worked up and with yuri nakamura since a year in Nakamura moving to Los Angeles in 1989-1990 that's when we started doing the the shoot wrestling and so 
we were already doing tie boxing, wrestling, and submission grappling and combining it all together and sparring it in 1990. And that was, you know, three years before the UFC ever came out. But at the same time, Eric Paulson was training with the Gracie's, Horry and Gracie in his garage, his Hoist Gracie, and right at the very, very beginning of it all. And so we were getting that as well. And slowly but surely, we started to see this thing where all these these different events would start to come up and different tournaments. And at the beginning, it was like eight-man tournaments. We did a lot of eight-man tournaments. So you have eight guys and three fights a night, and you would get it done. And that's how uh, Jerk started. That's how uh, Dave Manet started. That's how all of our fighters started. I mean, all the same fighters that were in um, that we saw all the way growing up in the UFC. Matt Hughes, you know, Tim Sylvia, Rich Franklin. All these guys were going through these smaller shows like the Extreme Challenge with Monty Cox, and that's how they cut their teeth to get into the UFC. It's amazing to think back then. You know that the levels of things you could do, you know, you had like a boxer against uh, somebody who just did jujitsu against a wrestler and, you know, like a couple of fights a night and it was just accepted. And now we've got this kind of like medical suspensions and you've got the delays between fights. And I mean, from your experience of then, is that, do you think it's, this should be something that every guy does? It should have some sort of involvement in a combat sport. I mean, maybe not competing everybody, but, I mean, I've seen some amazing benefits to my own life and, you know, it helps with depression, it helps with fitness and meeting friends and stuff like that. Do you think all guys from your experience of combat sports and martial arts should be doing something like this? Personally, I do. I think that it should be part of the process of growing up. I mean, you you learn how to deal with like you said, pressure and you have to immediately problem solve and you're and you're in uncomfortable positions and you're not you don't get to win and you gotta come back and figure out how to do it a little bit better. And you know, there it's not this this uh entitlement. You're not entitled. You're you just get you, you walk in and you do your best and you work out and you have you know, and you learn how to just be a tougher person to deal with problems and also to work out stress and to, you know, figure out who you are as a, as a person and what you can endure and how far you can go. All these things I think are so important. And, you know, my son, he's, he grew up on the mats. My daughter grew up on the mats and it just was, it's been a natural part of our family to, to wrestle, to do Thai boxing, to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu all that stuff. So to me, it's, it's, I think it's very important to grow up doing it. And I think all, all boys, I think most girls, all girls should have some sort of knowledge just for self-defense purposes. Cause that's what I love about jujitsu is you get to the point where, you know, you can be defeated by a girl who weighs a third your weight, you know, or you can be beaten by an older person who understands the moves better and stuff. You know, it's like a human chess match. You're always trying to figure each other out and you learn about self-defense, you learn about your safety, but it also, it gives you that sort of primal connection. You know, it makes you forget all the other like bullshit in the world. You just focus on it. And when you come out exhausted, you just feel at peace with the world. I mean, I'm not spiritual, but it kind of 
it teaches kids to, that it's acceptable to use your body and feel focused and center of your body. But it, it's really weird for people who haven't done it. They just think it's like fat guys rolling in sweaty pajamas when I show when I show friends pictures of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So we're, I'm working on that. But, you know, you've had, like, you're a living legend in the coaching world. Why do you think you've been so successful compared to all the other coaches? You know, why do all your fighters seem to just win, win, win? Well, I think a big part of it is the fact that I come from a really wide variety of martial arts. Um, Also, where we're at in, in the States, in the Midwest, there's a very big wrestling community. So a lot of the the fighters, you know, Dave Manet, Sean Shirk, Brock Lesnar, the big names, almost most majority of the fighters have had some sort of a, a lot of a, a wrestling background. So they understand that physical demand that's, that's placed on them. But on the other, on the other hand, I think it's the fact that I went through Thai boxing and I competed in Thai boxing. I went to Thailand and trained and went to Holland and trained and we fought all over the place. And then I wrestled competitively at a high level and I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I did grappling, and I did shoot wrestling. And so I was able to kind of take my own experiences and how to blend it well, and having kind of that, I guess, the JKD, as you can know, mentality, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add specifically your own. I could look at each fighter and each individual and see what they needed, and I had such a repertoire of drills I could choose from to develop the skill that they, that they needed. And I think that's probably a big part of it is just having that that toolbox to, to reach into and grab whatever we needed to train the fighter at that time. And, you know, you have certain you know, different abilities coming in, different people coming in, different mentalities, different, you know, athletic backgrounds. And having that ability to look at that person and say, okay, that right now, he we need to focus on striking. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Boom, 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 boom. Have a bunch of strikers, have a bunch of tie boxers that are competitive that he can train with. And I have another person that's maybe a really good wrestler, but doesn't know so much about jujitsu or submission yet. Well, we got a lot of really good submission wrestlers that also wrestled that can kind of point the way and direct them. And so we've always had this good amount of people that have been in our school that are competing in all the different disciplines at the very high level. So we can always just push and pick and choose from them and uh, have our fighters work with them. So it's just been this ability to, like I said, have that toolbox full of whatever tools and a bunch of really good mechanics to use them. (laughs) So that was another part of it. Yeah, but definitely because you've got such an array of amazing fighters. But I mean, you know, it's such a size difference. There's male and female champions. There's a different kind of background to each fighter. So, how would you analyze a new fighter? Say somebody new came to the team wanting to compete. How do you analyze their strengths and weaknesses? I mean, do you get them to do like live rolling for the first wee while? Are you just building like a set level of benchmarks that you want each fighter to do in terms of grappling, submission, defense, etc.? Or do you kind of watch them and analyze where their strengths and weaknesses are yourself? So, you know, do you have certain tools you use at this point? Well, I think the biggest thing is you know seeing what they come in with to begin with. All right, if they're if they're a wrestler, now I can say, okay, I don't have to really worry about their wrestling skill. I just got to see how they do 
striking and how they do with dealing with submissions. Then you can see, okay, I think this person really has the ability to, to learn this part of the art first. Maybe I'm not even going to deal with kicks with the person. I'm just going to deal with punches and then getting into the clinch and then getting it down to the ground. So I look at each individual and see where, you know, what's their strengths? Are they explosive? Do they have great endurance? Are they a durable person? I mean, that's the thing when you have a person come in as an individual, there's so many dynamics that are involved. You could have a great athlete who's just explosive and fast and, and even a, a very competitive wrestler, but their style doesn't really match up with, with fighting. They were like low sweep, singly mover, you know, takedown guys and, and low stance. And all of a sudden you bring them up to a fighting stance and they have no idea how to set up their takedowns. And so it's really a, an individual thing, but as they start to at least get a little base knowledge, I do have like a set of, of skills that I think are very important that each one of them learn within the striking realm, within the wrestling realm, and within the, the grappling and, or the jujitsu and, and ground fighting realm. And so there are some, some definitely benchmarks that I want them to be able to, uh, to attain as they develop. Is there any that you could share? I mean, it would uh, benchmark be something like, you know, be able to escape out of mounts, you know, nine times out of 10, or would you be looking for certain combinations? Like how, what kind of benchmarks, you know, not like obviously all the, the all your diamonds, but I mean, is there a couple that you could share with us? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing would say up on your feet, striking. I want them to have a, a good, solid understanding of, of the basic hand combinations and how to move and strike at the same time. And I want to see how that ability to strike with fluidity, not like choppy, slow strikes, but have that fluidity of movement. And then, uh, you know, obviously with uh, that, then we come into the, to the to knees and elbows, just understanding basic knees and elbows and how to utilize them and how to clinch and how to uh, play the game, not only like in Muay Thai with the, with the clinch game there, but also like in Greco, you know, so you're learning how to push and pull and balance and what, you know, positions are strong for fighting and which ones are weak, you know, how to, how to just play that game a little bit. Because a lot of the clinch is very, it's just like grappling on the ground. It's about sensitivity and feel. And so we have some basic drills and so they're basically like on the on the wrestling skills. I want basically understanding of how to do your basic shots, single legs, double legs, how to do your upper body attacks, and of course sprawling. You got to have your sprawl game down and your defensive game. And then on the ground, I think initially just knowing how to escape and how to move well off your back, especially because if I'm already dealing with potential wrestlers i don't really worry about their top game so much it's worrying about uh how to get off their back how to maneuver on the ground and then i teach them on what not to do <laughs> because the the wrestler would do some things that will get them caught in guillotines and you know, <laughs> triangles and all this other stuff i'll say okay here's what not to do otherwise have some fun 
Because it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like if you've only done one martial art, when you suddenly combine like striking and submissions from like jujitsu and that, it's, it's amazing how something that would score points in wrestling would give you a very, very bad time, you know, like by shooting in and just leaving your neck exposed. But, you know, you don't need to worry about it, say, in judo or like in wrestling compared to jujitsu. Um, I mean, something that I was very intrigued about was, you know, you've spoken to Stephen Kesting, yep. somebody who I've had on the show as well. And I've gone away, and I do, like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Gracie Barra. They have, like, a very kind of, like, controlled, this is how we drill, this is how we learn sort of approach. Kit Dale, who I'm having on the show quite soon, he's very much a part of, you learn the concepts rather than techniques. You look at how you... Like you know, you understand the like the three main points for a sweep in jujitsu, say, rather than learning the three hundred different variations of sweeps. Where do you stand on learning technique versus um, drilling? And you know, are you a situational rolling coach, or are you somebody who prefers to drill opponents into specific situations, or do you just fire techniques to you know how how does your coaching style differ? to say something like Gracie Barra or Kit Dale or Stephen Keston or any of these kind of coaches? Well, I, I, we've, I guess I kind of look at, uh, even my methodology of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu comes from a kind of a wrestling background and there's a lot of drilling and wrestling, but it's all like interactive drilling. It's all, uh, you know, situations. So right away, you know, you're teaching a kid how to wrestle. And I kind of do, I've learned from both. And sometimes when I teach wrestling now, I kind of do it in like a, like a breakdown like we would in jiu-jitsu. Okay, here's step one, step two, step three. Because in wrestling, generally, it's like, okay, here's a double leg. Okay, you're going to pull their head, you're going to drop, shoot, go. And you tell the kids to go, and pretty soon they start to develop it. That's kind of... They understand about the concept, what it is, and then they start to refine skill over time. Now, that works great if the kid is already a really good athlete. But if you're dealing with someone who learns a little bit differently and needs that breakdown, that's where I, I draw from my professor, you know, Professor Pedro Sauer, who I'm under, who's a very technical step-by-step you know, leverage over strength instructor. And I start to look at wrestling in that way too. And I say, okay, why is this working? Okay, great. Here's the understanding of the, here's the basic concept. And this is why a move works. Now, once they have that understanding of how the move works, then I say, okay, now let's break down. Let's refine it. Let's get a little bit sharper. Let's be able to do it under stress and under pressure. Why is it going to work when you have in this position, but when the person angles over here? So I start to really get nitty gritty as well, because part of the natural progression of grappling arts is that you're going to do a lot of live grappling anyways. Hmm. And in the live grappling is that's where you develop what I what I call like the soft skill. It's like if I taught somebody how to uh, do all the all the technical moves in jujitsu or wrestling, or Thai boxing, doesn't matter what. 
okay, this is a jab. You got to keep your hand right here and the other hand over here. You're going to pivot a little bit and just break it down and just have them drill it and just focus on that for who knows how much time. And then on the other end of the gym, I have a guy that I say, okay, here's a jab. You just throw your punch out there. This other guy's got a jab. He's going to throw the punch and we're going to spar with our front hand only. Go. I guarantee the person who's doing the sparring is going to get the jab way faster and be able to pull it off than the guy who technically masters every little movement of the jab because of all the little nuances. And so there's a combination I think is very important of having the, the concept of why something works and then developing drills of progressive uh, resistance. I love that because I'm a big fan of that kind of style coaching because I see that sometimes in Gracie Barra is they teach the, the movement pattern, but the person defending it or your opponent's uh, training partner, whatever you want to call it, is only like a 10% defense. So when we go to the situational rolling, they've never dealt with somebody who then fights back at them. And you see a lot of people kind of going, well, wait, you're not meant to move your arm. Well, no, you're not meant to push me back or stop me doing X, Y, Z. And it's like you're saying, it's like that people who actually have to figure out the little bits in between of like how much pressure to put on, where's the point, the danger point, where's the point you can get caught or blocked and how to do it if they raise an arm or they don't roll the way you expect them to. And it, it's quite, it's difficult to kind of get that through to some people. And I think that's the problem sometimes is when we get shown how to memorize movement patterns rather than actually understand the concept of the sweep or the the striking etc so how do you break down this kind of training you know how how much time do you assign to things do you just look at what the fighter needs or are you thinking right jiu-jitsu on a monday wrestling on a tuesday striking on a wednesday or do you do mix and match you know what's your kind of approach say there's a fight 10 weeks away or whatever you know would you set it up as a training camp or are you just always prepping different skills each day? No, I mean, we'll, we'll, we have kind of a very steady program that we do with our fighters with a, we have a main, a main team practice, put it that way. So like Mondays and Wednesdays, it's going to be more uh, grappling focused and they wear their MMA gloves and we'll warm up doing regular warm up drills. And sometimes we will have a longer warm up, and that will be more wrestling based. And sometimes it's a jujitsu based. Sometimes it's like, you know, shadow boxing, and then I'll call off stuff. And then I'll, I'll maybe address a couple of points, a couple of uh, areas. Like I may be saying, okay, we're going to be working off our back. So we're going to defend punches. And then from the punches, we're going to wrap the hand, and then we're going to get up off our back. So I'll kind of technically show what to do. And then they'll drill it and they'll drill it with while they're getting punched. And we maybe do that for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And then, uh, then we start our live, our live goes. And then it's going to be goes. It's, it's live, live grappling. Now, the funny thing is right before our team training on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, I have, I teach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And a good hunk of my fighters will do that class before they do the fight fight training. So now they're getting broken down and really being able to isolate 
elements of jujitsu in a in just a purely grappling format and going through it just like a class. And so they're already kind of mentally warmed up and physically warmed up and have taken time to focus on specific techniques so that when we get to our fighter training, which I tell people, this is fighter training, not fighter class. A big difference. And in fighter training, we're learning how to fight. And it's going to be more, more live goes, more situations, more very uh, specific fight drills that are going to happen in a fight, as opposed to like maybe a jujitsu class. We'll be breaking down specific techniques that we're focusing on for that for that month. And so they're getting both both ways of, of learning. And then uh, the same thing will happen. And I, I'll tell you this, Sean Shirk was a great example of that. Probably half of his training was in classroom, in the classroom. And the other half was with fight with the fight team. And he was fine going right into a regular class and doing just nuts and bolts techniques and doing uh, basic drilling on tie pads and working with anybody. He didn't care who it was. As long as they knew how to hold the pads and they knew how to move around, he was totally fine with that. And so we kind of just molded that mentality to this day. And so, you know, we have kind kind of a, we're, we expect our fighters to go to these different classes to do and drill Muay Thai, to go to a Thai, to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes, to find a training partner that they're going to work with specifically to drill. So when we get to fight training, we can actually train fighting, all right, train the, the drills. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we spar. We're, it's a sparring focus. Tuesdays, we do big gloves and shin guards. Thursdays we do small gloves and shin guards with more grat with more uh, takedowns, and so it might probably Tuesday we have a lot of our Muay Thai fighters come in there because it's basically Thai boxing, and so they're just they'll spar and again it's not we don't go nuts right there'll be time and place where we say oh hey we're gonna have a really hard sparring session at this time so kind of be ready for it right. Otherwise, we do a lot of timing sparring, a lot of drills, a lot of movements. Because if I, if a fighter already knows that he can take a good shot, you don't have to keep reminding them that he can take a good shot. Now, oh, it's, now it's about uh, refining those skills so they can be more fluid and more dynamic and a better fighter and more comfortable fighting. It's like in Thailand, you know, training in Thailand is very unique because. You watch those people, you watch them fight, and it is just insane. But in training, they could go 20, 20 sparring rounds every single day, and nobody's going to get hurt. Because that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you, we almost seem to t enjoy the, the pain and misery of it. We seem to think like we have to be vomiting after every session. We have to go at 9,000 miles an hour. And, and I love that approach of, you know, you don't need to go in and – get smashed in the face every single day to learn to become the best and you proved that you know that you don't need to do that why do you think i mean is this something that a lot of guys tie up to their ego and to their masculinity do you think the the fact that you know they think if they're not in agony the next day if they're not covered in bruises then it wasn't a good training session you know if they're not vomiting they've not put enough work in is this our own kind of is this the sort of immature approach to training that a lot of guys have do you think yeah, I think definitely it's uh, when you have younger fighters, 
they're constantly wanting to, it's, you know, it's one upmanship. You know, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You hit me back, I'm going to hit you back harder. And, you know, and, and also I think it's part of their, they're building up their confidence. They want to know that they can get hit and they want to know that they can, you know, last in there. And it's a process. It's a process of getting them to trust themselves and trust the, the fact that being in front of another person, throwing punches and kicks and, and knees and elbows, you know, it's a, it's more about recognizing the threat and being able to deal with it as opposed to just standing and banging and, and trying to become a, a tougher tree. Right. So I'm about, Hey, if you are some Mark fighter, you're a guy that's going to be able to, you're going to want to figure out all the little nuances of what a person does before they fight. So I can mitigate the damage and, and slip to the side and angle and move and be able to spend, you know, many, many rounds in front of another fighter, educating my eye and my ability to see what's going to happen as opposed to just, you know, bang and hope for the best. And, you know, we've had both, you know, um, in the past, it was a lot more training hardcore, just beating the living crap out of each other. I mean, that's just the way it was. And then over time, you, you start to learn, you know what, that's maybe not the smartest thing. These guys come in banged up, they're getting injured, you know, and obviously now with so much more uh, research on brain damage and and the problems that happen there it's like eh, you don't really need to do that if you already know you're tough you already know you can take a shot you already know that you're a tough fighter you don't have to re prove that every day it's not like your brain gets calloused and tougher it gets softer and weaker <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a boast to be able to say you've eaten a thousand punches it's better to say you've been able to avoid 998 of them so what yeah. do you want your fighters then to do outside of this? I mean, I've from I was looking at your site earlier, I mean, and I really want to train with you at some point. But I mean, I love the you know, the thing that you put about how to bring up the energy, how to be a good training partner. You know, you were talking about like meditation, you were talking about healthy eating and a lot of these other places don't really focus on that. So I mean, what are you asking your fighters to do outside of the cage? you know, in terms of things for cardio, for their mental health, for their diet, how involved do you get in those kind of aspects of things? Well, I have a, um, we have a, a, a separate person that really works their, their functional fitness training. And a lot of times that, that will happen almost right after they get done with their fighter, fighter training. And so they'll have a little bit of a break and then he'll have a very specific, you know, combat functional fitness session that he'll do. So I, I like them to do that. And, and he's very smart with it. Cause a lot of times I'll, and we dialogue back and forth. I'll be like, okay, here, here's what I think they need strength in. And this is an area of focus that I want you to, to re, to, to get into. And so he'll, he'll create programs around that. So I'm really big into that. The other thing I'm, I try to impart on them how important sleep and eating healthy and drinking water and and recovery and being able to recuperate correctly so that you can come in and train very hard. And again, that that stems from back in the day when, when Sean Shirk was training. He was 
and and Nick Thompson back in the day, both of them were very, very disciplined. They knew exactly what they were going to eat, when they were going to eat it, how much of it they were going to eat. They had every training program kind of listed out how they were going to do it, when they were going to do it. And they were very disciplined, right? And I remember Sean Shirk used to have this statement. I, he always used to say, he goes, I don't eat for flavor. I eat for, for, for performance. And so yeah, <laughs> I'd be looking at the food going, dude, that's got to be the blandest food ever. I mean, he'd just have broccoli that was just steamed with nothing on it hardly and skinless chicken breasts and just, but his whole thing is, well, the window of our opportunity to be great is, is, is pretty small. So I think I can deal with, uh, you know, just eating really healthy for a few years. And you know what the funny thing is? To this day, he eats pretty much the same. And he has not fought for, what, 10 plus years? And he and his philosophy is, I feel really good. Why would I want to not feel really good? I mean, it's pretty mm -hmm. simple. And so I try to bring that up. And it's nice having a fighter like Sean Shirk, who is so disciplined and so meticulous about his diet and about how he trained and why he was training things and, and be able to point back to him and say, look at, here's an example of a guy who, who in the beginning of his fight career for the first 35 fights had to fight at 170 because there wasn't any weight class lower than 170. And he's like five, six and three quarters. And so he had to figure out how to have strength and endurance and he's a speed fighter he's a, if you you know obviously if you watched him he's an explosive fast you know fighter and generally people that are really explosive and fast don't have endurance so he had to work on that he had to develop himself to be able to be fast and explosive for 25 minutes and he did it he was very disciplined and really uh, a thoughtful fighter and so having that example that will come in and, and talk to the guys is great. And so, you know, I could sometimes talk into them, blowing them out, you know, on the head and say, hey, this is what you want to do. But then when you have an actual champion that comes in who lived it and came up through the ranks, starting with zero fights all the way up to becoming a champion, you know, it, it, it makes uh, it, the fighters really uh, gravitate towards that. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because you could tick off a list of who's who. You know, you've trained some amazing and still have trained some amazing people. But how then do you gel your team? You know, because you've built up this sort of dynasty of getting guys who are able to come back in and inspire the, the next generation of fighters. But how do you pull the team together? And then say it's say it was like Brock, for example, going in against opponent. How do you start prepping for opponent? How do you get the coaches in? You know, do you just stick to the amazing array of coaches you've got at the facility, or do you look to bring in outside people? 
are you looking at game tape with him or are you just focusing on making him more badass than he currently is you know say if it's rose or if it's like any of the like other amazing fighters you've you've trained how do you start building them up towards a fight you know what would we be seeing leading in a training camp do you have a set plan or do you just do your usual and because it, it gets success well we we have our 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 major template that we use but then we'll start to refine it for specific fighter right so obviously if we have a, if we know that the person is fighting a southpaw and they're a very good striker well we're going to direct that we're going to address that element really well if we know the the fighter that we're going to be competing against is a really aggressive wrestler, ground and pound type person, wants it on the ground. We're going to address that and, and change certain training sessions to deal directly with that for sure. You know, individually, you know, training with Brock was in an entirely different experience. And this is because he, we had a guy that already had uh, a lot of wealth you know, he's from the WWE. He was very, uh, you know, just had a lot of money, right? Hmm. We could bring in specific people and they lived. He'd fly them in and they would live, you know, at his house, at a real house, or he'd put them up in a, in a house. And man, we, we pick and choose. I mean, we, we had Caprito come in for jujitsu. Of course, Pat Barry, that's how we got the, the connection there. You know, Pat Barry came in for striking. Uh, we brought a, a variety of really high-level wrestlers in to, to, to wrestle with him and to continue to train from there. And then uh, Marty Morgan, who was kind of the, 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 the main coach because that was Brock's wrestling coach and the voice that he could hear. He was kind of the, the guy that would get all the wrestlers in place. And then myself and maybe Eric Paulson would be kind of the guys that would tie everything together. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to, you know, the striking drills and the striking drills to getting the, to the takedown and once we're on the ground and it was having that type of a training, you know, group was very unique. I always tell people I could look at a, at a training ground when, when Brock was training and Brock himself was a, a two-time, you know, NCAA finalist and a champion, right? Hmm. And then we had Cole Conrad, who was a four-time All-American, two-time national champion in there, and three-time finalist. And then we had uh, Marty Morgan, who was also an NCAA, an undefeated NCAA national champion and Division II national champion runner-up. He was kind of, he was there. We had Tony Nelson, who was a two-time national champ, uh, you know, runner-up and four-time All-American. Caprito, who was a two-time absolute world champion in jiu-jitsu, right? And so you got just that group alone, how many championships top of the, I mean, it was like a being a fly in the wall was amazing watching that. And it was really cool watching the dialogue between, and I would sit back and I would just listen sometimes when Marty Morgan, who's kind of like a Yoda of wrestling and, and Caprito would sit there and dialogue back and forth. 
and Caprito would ask him about wrestling and, and then Marty would ask him about jujitsu and then they would come together. And so it was a very unique experience. And I learned a lot from that too, of bringing in specific people for different reasons. And, uh, and if you have the ability to do it, that's awesome. And he did. So uh, for the most part, you got a fighter who's just a normal human being who doesn't have a gazillion dollars to, to mess with. And you got to use the, the fighters that we have. And I'll bring in specific Thai boxers to work with our fighters. They'll work with them. We have really good wrestlers to work with them. So, you know, basically I look at the fighter. What's he need? Who is he fighting? We're going to have our major template, you know, our primary way of training the fighter, our general training session. And then we will get detailed for the specific fighter that he's working with. And that might be one training session a day where we'll break down details and, you know, formulate a specific striking, you know, plan that we want. How do we want to, where do we want to bring this fight? How do we want to keep it there? So we'll get a little detail with each fighter, but for the most part, they'll be training together and, uh, and we'll have fighters, sem you know, emulate the fighter that he's going to be fighting. So it becomes a, a puzzle. But uh, we try to do the best we can to, to put those pieces together. I love that. And just to think of having that wealth of experience and talent available just in the gym alone, never mind taking these other people in. I mean, Brock is somebody who I'd love to have on the show because he's one of those people that builds up what he wants. You know, he just goes and gets it and he achieves so much. And I think he's got an amazing story. I mean, I've read his book and I thought there's so many questions that come from it. So what, how do you deal with, in, from a, you know, you've, you're an amazing coach, but how do you deal with the people side of things? You know, how do you control like the egos of these guys who are world champions, who have won absolutes, guys who know they're the best of the best? How do you make sure everybody gels together from the, the new fighter to the legends who come and visit and stuff like that? You know, how do you make sure that you keep them on a level enough pegging that they're not running away and, you know, um, saying and doing stupid things and getting caught in fights. But how do you make sure then they don't lose their confidence you know, and their natural ability? How do you keep the, uh, how do you keep them getting better, shall we say? Well, you know, I have a, I think I'm very fortunate in the fact that, you know, we've had such a history from, from almost the beginning when Damon A was the first 185 pound UFC champion. So having, a history from then to Sean to, you know, just keep going up the, the ranks. You know, there, there's already been this kind of pattern that, that fighters see. And I've had to have fighters and just look at them and say, you know what, this is not the place for you. You're too much of a knucklehead. You're going to have to go. And I just kick them out. I mean, if they can't figure it out and if they can't tame their ego and they end up getting in fights, because I've had that happen where, Someone would get hit in sparring. Imagine that. And they go nuts and they start, it's almost like a fight. You got to jump in there and go, Whoa, what's happening? Well, that guy did this. It's like, Oh, you're sparring. Uh, they, they did realize what spotting was. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if you get hit really hard, whose fault was that? You know, so you got to deal with that. And so I've had fighters that I just had to say, You know what? I don't think this is a good fit. You're going to have to leave. And because for me, there needs to be that, that, that cohesion within the group that they're all very competitive with each other, but they're also looking out for each other. 
You know, they're not training on each other. They're training with each other to build each other up. And I always say that if you're pushing him and 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 the next guy's pushing the next guy, the next guy's pushing the next guy, everybody's going to come up together. And we, we're not here to to challenge one another in a way that, you know, I'm going to be the best in the gym. It's like, no, we want everyone to be the best in the gym that they can be. So we have a very good team that everybody gets along together. Uh, we don't have any major ego issues. The people that we did have problems with, we just, I just, it's just easier to say, you know what? There's a lot of places you can go train. You're too good for this place. See you later. <laughs> no, whatever I got to say, get them out of there. Or just kick them out to say you're out. Uh, there's always that kind of people who get attracted to the being able to control and bully other people. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of martial arts have that sort of slice of our souls. In a, you know, but they... Thankfully, there's a lot of good places. And I mean, Gracie Bar is great for the sort of family feeling and the, the sort of mantra. We did have a couple of people who it's almost like they made themselves feel more manly by able to beat up you know, newer students. And they eventually had to go because you just get to a point of thinking, like to some people, this is just a hobby. It's to learn self-defense or whatever, or it's to overcome getting bullied or something like that. And the last thing you want is somebody being taking liberties with somebody. But I mean, nobody's going to do that with the likes of like Brock and stuff like that. Yeah. What, I mean, what what do you do during the fights? You know, what, how do you analyze and like give feedback during like between the rounds and stuff like that? What are you looking for? Are you wanting them to just stick to the plan, or do you just kind of f go with the flow? Do you have like a post match analysis that you do? Or, you know, how do you just keep getting better and better after each fight? Well, I think, uh, you know, in the, during the actual fight, I'm pretty, you know, you got to be a hundred percent honest with your fighter They're If they're losing, you got to tell them they're losing. You got to, they got to get going. But I'm a, I'm a very firm believer that, you know, the majority of the, well, all the work has pretty much been done leading up to the fight. And now it's just maybe making some fine tune adjustments, uh, that have to happen. You you see the person walking into a right hand too much. You're like, hey, you gotta you gotta you gotta step to your your right to get away from their, their rear hand. You know, just very small things. But in the corner, for me personally, the first thing I have them do is I just have them breathe. Because if they're not breathing, they're not hearing you anyway. So I just say, okay, breathe, breathe. So probably the first the thirty seconds of that of that one minute break, I'm just having them breathe and try to relax and look at them to see where their eyes are at. You know, you know, sometimes you look at their, a fighter and it, and their eyes are telling you that, oh, my God, he's in panic mode. So you got to calm them down, get the breathing going. And then I'll just give them one or two things to focus on. And uh, I have uh, other people in the corner and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking while the fight's going on. And one of them say, hey, he's got he's to watch out for whatever X, Y, Z. And that might be something that I wasn't focusing on because I was looking at a different part. And I said, OK, yeah, I see that now. And so then when I go up there, I'll say, okay, hey, we got to make sure that you're, you know, you got to watch out for his right kick because he's, he's landing that on a leg. It might not hurt now, but it's going to, it's going to, it's going to take its effect. So we're pretty honest with the fight. Or if I'm saying, listen, you have got to, you got to turn it up, buddy, because you're getting beat. You got to pull, you got to pull the rabbit out of the hat here and do something crazy. And I'll be pretty honest with them. So 
you know, as far as game plans, sometimes you have, we have to sh change them. A great example of that is when Sean Shirt fought Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz. When we went out there, you know, we were expecting just to, to try to shoot in and get Nick down right away. But Nick came down, crouched over, ready for Sean's takedown, assuming that his striking was going to be so much better than Sean's that he could sit in this position and just, just hit. Sean took some shots and realized he wasn't going to be able to take him down. So between the second, uh, the first and second round, I said, Sean, you got to start just boxing. You got to start open up. He's now as tall as you. He's crouched over. And so he came out there and all of a sudden all these people were like, oh my God, Sean sure can box. Yeah, he's always been able to box. He never needed it. So it was really funny because he ends up winning that fight and he ended up didn't getting takedowns and doing and doing well. And I remember talking to Caesar Gracie maybe a, a few fights after that. And he said, yeah, it was very, Nick was really confused because he was sure without a doubt that his hands were so much better than Sean's that he didn't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden Sean was, was hitting him and it wasn't like he was hitting him with shots that were going to knock freaking the Diaz brothers out. Those guys are just, but they were just like flies in his face and he was just like, what is going on here? And then he would shoot in. And so we had to change the game plan from taking him down and getting on top and dealing with it to boxing him between rounds. So hopefully you've, you've developed a fighter and they have the ability to adapt fast enough because guess what? The fighter you're fighting, they're game planning against you too. Oh, I love that. Yeah, they make an entirely different fighter by the next time you see them. Because you see that a lot of times, don't you? It's like people who've got to the, the rodeo or the big show or whatever you want to call it, they sit there and they stay in their exact same game plan and they do the same thing over and over. And this new guy who scouted them well, start smashing through their you know their preset rituals and they start they don't know what to do because they've never had to go back to the bag of tricks or to change things up or to sort of go on the fly and i love hearing stories like that where people are you know use their mental skills as well as their physical skills to actually start thinking around the problem and not just try to smash their way through it and i love hearing the, the kind of the way that you look at it and break it down. And I can, I can see why you've had the success you've had, but what do you think, you know, for fighters in terms of like afterwards, like, you know, are you a big component of um, like meditation, visualization? Cause I can see how, you know, you inspire and motivate these guys, but what do you get them to do away from the gym to really help, you know, become that 1%? I'm definitely, definitely big on, on visualization, uh, imagery, having a, you know, kind of developing those, those positive mantras or, or that mindset because you're, the mind is such a powerful tool. And as an athlete, you know, you're facing, you know, and I deal with high school wrestlers because I coach high school wrestling as well. And you're, you're teaching these kids from the ground up. And right away, my the the head coach that I that I coach under, he's also very much into the the growth mindset, and so we and things that I've started doing with the high school kids that I see work, I bring right into the fighters, and and uh, you know as far as okay, we're gonna have how are you warming up? What how are you prepping your mind 
How are you prepping your body so that it knows it's time to go? Are you, are you, when you walk into the gym, are you bringing in baggage with you? Or as I tell them, listen, if you're going to come in and train, whatever you're bringing in from the outside, just leave it outside the door. Because once you're in the gym, you can't do anything about it anyways. So let's focus 100% on the fighting, 100% on your skill development, 100% on what you have to do so that you're wholly engrossed and intentional in your development. And then as they're training, I'm always reminding them, okay, what, what's, your, what's your intention today? What are you trying to learn today? What is your goal for today for this training session? Don't just come in here and just start going through the motions. I want you to have an intention. Why are you training today? What is your purpose? What skills are you developing and why? And so they become very mindful about what they're doing and why they are doing it, not just because I'm telling them to do something. And so, and at the end of every training session, I also have a little, uh, sometimes it's a motivational talk. Sometimes it's more of a, a mindset talk that I start to uh, dial, diagram something or t- tell them a different way to, to look at something or breathing techniques that they can cool themselves down with and, and, or amp themselves up with, you know, so I'm doing a lot of things that I'm constantly researching myself on, on, on higher, higher performance. And I, myself have gone to a bunch of different, like high performance Academy where you're learning what high performers in every, in every genre, not just fighting, but from CEOs all the way down to athletes, what are they doing to become higher performers and why are they becoming higher performers? So I start bringing that into the fight, t- fight team as well. I love that. I really wish I lived so uh, closer to your gym because I'd be signing up like today. I mean, what goes through your sort of mind when you see a fighter make a mistake? Do you have a ritual or a mantra um that you'd get them to do to sort of clear away. Say they get caught by a big strike and the bell goes, and then the next, you know, they're in between rounds. How can they forget about the mistake? I mean, if I um, started jujitsu, I used to have, if I got tapped, even if the person was a purple belt when I was a white belt, or even now when I'm a blue belt, I still get pissed off when somebody taps me. How can we forget about mistakes and then just get on and reset, refocus, and get back into it? Do you have a way of kind of clearing the deck, so to speak? Well, you know what I what I try to, you know, my goal is how I point the the fighters and the competitors and and the students in the school is that, you know, you should be willing to to try new things, willing to to say, okay, today I'm going to try to do this, you know, technique, or I'm going to put myself in these really bad positions to figure it out and if the person catches you they did what they're supposed to do right so don't worry about it and i'll tell you this uh, you know you take the weight off their shoulders and say okay they're a fighter so they got to be able to to beat everybody in class that's not the case at all i have my fighters getting tapped out all the time and they would just laugh they just laugh and go oh my god that was really good and you know i didn't i didn't think you were going to be able to do that that was awesome and because I give them the freedom to just open up and have fun with it. When it's time to be very competitive, it's time to be competitive, right? But if they're rolling in a class with, a, with uh, all the rest of the students, I want them to, to kind of almost sometimes go into that 
person that they're rolling with, I want to go right into their wheelhouse. I want you to go right into their traps, figure it out, have some fun. If you get caught, you get caught. You're trying to figure it out. You're having fun. And you're, you're piece by piece getting your game stronger. And I think having that element of play is really important because you're in a serious sport. You're in a sport where you can get really hurt. And we've had fighters get really hurt. And so you have to have that ability to take that pressure off yourself and just have fun learning and have fun going through the process. And uh, I think that's a huge part of it. If, uh, you know, if we're in the middle of a fight and a guy just got tagged and, you know, you're looking at him and he's like, Woo! you know, same thing. I'll tell him to breathe. I go, okay, that guy just nailed you, man. How's it feel? He goes, yeah, that was a good shot. And I go, hey, that's the hardest shot you're going you're gonna to take. He just landed the most perfect shot on you. Guess what? We're standing here talking right now. You ready to go after this guy? Yeah, yeah. All right. You're not going to hit any harder. You already hit. He's already going to get hit. Let's go out there. Let's not let that happen again. Okay, boom. And so I try to take him away and say, hey, it happened. Big deal. Part of the deal. Oh, I mean, I've interviewed um, Bobby Marksmith, uh, Rob McDonald, and that's what he said. Is like I got knocked out and I was out cold for about like eight minutes. And when I came round, I was kind of like, mm. but he goes, but if you let it hold you back, then like it could destroy you. But he said like that's what he did. Was he went away and looked at how to fix it and fill the gaps and fill the holes that he had sort of struggled with. And I love the way you look at it, like and. Just now, it was like you were talking to me directly as well, where you, I was saying, going, yeah, stop taking it so serious. Enjoy it. Play around. And it's it's like that thing of if you get tapped, you know, you either win or you you learn. There's no lose. The only lose is when you stop or when you give up or get seriously hurt. I mean, something that um, I was really amazed at was that you've beaten two um, really serious conditions. Do you think your mindset from fighting and your toughness from the, the gym and the coaching, et cetera, was that something that gave you the mental strength to kind of fight off um, like cancer and that at the time? Yeah, I, I think definitely without a doubt, because you're dealing with aches and pains and stress and, and the way that, you know, the arts that I did, especially with Thai boxing and wrestling, where you're just pushing your physical limits constantly and you're, used to cutting weight and the, the disc, you know, the being uncomfortable from cutting weight and then, you know, dealing with aches and pains and, and how to navigate around injuries and all these things, you know, and just keep persevering and pushing through definitely was a huge part of it. You know, it's the same thing. I was a, I was an all American gymnast in high school as well. And so you're constantly dealing with your hands being ripped and getting tweaked and falling. And my, my daughter was a really high level gymnast. And there's kind of a saying in gymnastics where it's, it's, you fail, fail, fail until you don't. And uh, that mind, that mindset is, is important that, you know, you're going to have bad days, you're going to have good days, but you just keep going and going. And that mindset got me through a lot of those, that, that battle. And I had a couple of mantras when I was going through the cancer. And one of them was, I might have cancer, but cancer will not have me. Right? So I just say, okay, I got cancer, but hey, it's, I'm not going to let it win. I'm going to fight, fight. The other one was, this is kind of a grim one, but I said, I will fight until I live or die, but I'm not going to stop fighting. And that mindset was just something that just kept me going. Good days, bad days in a lot of pain, you know, whatever, 
just not going to stop fighting. I love those kind of mindsets. I mean, I had three grandparents die in the same year of cancer, and one of them, my granny on my mum's side, she was in, the, you know, lying on her deathbed, terminal cancer, and I remember she was asking the nurse, was she single? Because I was single at the time, and she wanted to hook me up, you know, and I was just like, I couldn't understand that level of, courage and strength and all she wanted was for me to be happy and that kind of showed me of what we're capable of and you know it's it really kind of highlights to you when people are going through stuff like that that there's we can be helpful you know we can be strong for each other and there's we can do a lot and push ourselves to far more than we think we're capable were there sort of warning signs at the time that you'd notice? Because a lot of guys don't get regularly checked, don't get medical, you know, like checkups from their doctors, prostate exams, all that kind of stuff as they need it. What, I mean, did you notice things at the time? Was it just losing weight and feeling unwell or was it caught through something else? No, when I, when I first was coming, you know, getting, uh, feeling those signs, I remember, I still remember, I was in Thailand and I was running, we were running up uh, this mountain up in uh, Chiang Mai, up to the Doi Su Tep, which is a temple up in the mountain. And I was a, always an endurance-based athlete, always able to go and go. And I remember I was jogging with my, my fighter that was there and I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta stop for a second here. I'm just gonna walk. And he looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, I think it's my ankle. I was just, you know, you try to do anything. Right? <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll catch up and I walk for a while. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to finish off the last thing. And then I continued to, to train the rest of the camp, the rest of the uh, time that we're there and we're pushing hard, but I kind of remembered that. And then when I got back, I remember I was, it was like a, a kind of a slow progressive decline. And I thought I was getting like mono or some kind of flu, but it didn't feel like that. I didn't have the same symptoms. And I started getting these aches up and down my back. And uh, it was just a very strange feeling. I was really tired. And uh, and the thing is, I, I was going in, and the fact that I was 37 years old at the time, uh, I think that the doctor's cancer was so far away from their head that they didn't even put that on their radar. So they were giving me different types of tests. And, okay, try this. We think you have, you know, an infection in your in your lung and i'm like what all right try this two days later come back not that nothing it feels the same okay we think you have this and it was finally to the point where i could hardly i'd have to show a move i mean this from being a competitive athlete to show a move then have to sit down and catch my breath and i was going gosh not I don't know what's going on. And finally, uh, it was Memorial Day weekend for in here in the United States. And it was on a Friday. And, and my wife at the time called the doctor. And I still remember this. She goes, and I can hear her voice. Yeah, I have a message for Dr. Ula. Tell them that if I don't get a call back, I'm probably going to find my husband dead over the weekend. Right? And so she got on the phone and said, you haven't given him a scan. You haven't done anything you know, we got to do this. And so finally I said, okay. So we went and I got a CAT scan and they said they were going to call back at 5.30 and it was like 5.31. So my, my wife got on the phone, said, Hey, what's going on? Give us 15 more minutes. Okay. 
15 more minutes, they called back. He said, go, go to North Memorial Hospital. Okay, so I said, oh, good, they found something. And so I got there and did the paperwork, and I remember getting off the elevator to the, on the fourth floor, and what I saw was oncology. No, what you won't see. And I go, ah, I might have cancer. All right. So then we went in there, and then I got a biopsy of my liver because they wanted to double check. And they said, okay, we have two masses on your liver, and we just found that the biopsy is positive. You have, you know, you have cancer, you have liver cancer, and you got some involvement in your spleen and your lymph nodes. So we are, we are on stage four. And to me, I'm like, whatever, I don't know what stage four is, but what do we got to do? And so it was a weird thing because when I found out that I had cancer, it was actually a weird relief because I knew what it was now. And I, in my mind, I knew I had an opponent to fight and I had a, mm. a direction that I could fight. And, and I remember saying to the doctors too, I said, hey, listen, whatever your deal is, I don't want to hear any kind of stats or numbers or nothing because that takes into people that quit, that takes into people that's too late, it takes into people that was too old. I'm none of those people. I don't want to hear stats. I don't want to hear numbers. Just tell me what I got to do. And that was kind of the mindset. It was like a, another opponent to fight. And this was just a big giant training session that I was going to have to battle through. And that's how I, I kind of looked at it. And I remember my brother, when I'd be in the MRI, you know, that the sounds, me, me, me. And they'd say, my brother would hold my feet because I had a lot of pain in my legs and I always want to move my feet. He said, okay, Greg, this is four rounds. You can do four rounds. You, you can do four rounds in your sleep. In my mind, four rounds is four three-minute rounds. And that's how he got me through these MRIs too. He would relate everything back to training rounds and those hard pushing tie boxing rounds that we did. And that's uh was step-by-step getting through it. You've been surrounded by some amazing people and it, it's, it's awesome to hear. And I'm so glad that, you know, you, you've recovered and you just seem to go from strength to strength. But can you remember what was the sort of hardest thing at that point? I mean, what advice would you give to those who, are going through that just now who maybe have got family members is there something that people did that really pissed you off or is there something that you were really grateful for people doing you know what advice would you give to those going through it and those who've got family member currently in it well here's a you know obviously the personal advice you, you just you got to fight you got to have something to fight for but here's i think a huge bit of advice that a lot of people don't hear it's you know, in my case, I, I had my wife at the time and she was like a bulldog. And she would keep all of the doctors on the same page because you'd have a an oncologist come in and then you'd have a neurologist come in and then you'd have a hematologist come in and then you'd have the pain doctor and they're all telling you different things. And so she would be like, listen, stop. Get together. And I want and she would get them all together to make sure they were on the same page because sometimes they wouldn't even know what was going on with, with the other doctors because they got all these different patients. And so having your, you know, the, the caregiver or the person on the outside really know, you know, what, that the doctors are kind of on the same page that the, each doctor is talking to the other doctor. That's a big part of it. Uh, the, the other thing is, you know, when, I remember uh, people would come in and go, what, are you, what should we 
what do we talked about? What do we, what should we say to him? And, and my wife at the time said, just talk to him like you'd normally talk to him. The same guys yeah. fighting. And I think that's what happens. People come in and they don't know what to do. And they just like, for me, I just wanted to talk. I just wanted to, you know, hear what was going on with people and just try to make it as normal as possible so that, you know, you, you, you always have this mindset of, okay, this is what, this is where we're at. And, and this is my friends and we can always talk. And, and, you know, that, that's a huge thing because when you have people come in and they're just looking at you like, you know, that just kind of adds to that angst that you have. It's like, man, I must look terrible. I must look like I'm going to die right now. As opposed yeah. to they come in and just say, Hey, what's going on? And, you know, do jokes and, and just act like they normally would. And I think that's a huge part of it. It's like, give it, yeah, it's just giving them something different to see and talk about. And yeah, I mean, that's what I couldn't figure out was like, well, when my grandparents were really sick and they were asking me about what I was doing at like college or work or whatever. And I was like, how can you care about that right now? And it, it took me years when I was quite young at the time, it took me years to kind of look and go, you know, they just wanted life to continue as normal. They wanted to just have another focus outside of it and be treated as like a normal person and not worry that you're going to offend them or, you know, be the silly, weird kid I was as, as they knew and sort of grew up with. But, I mean, how has it changed since you've become a father? Has that kind of changed the way you coach your outlook in life? Has the illness changed your outlook in life at all? Are you still the same person who just wants to go and smash life and win it, you know, just achieve and just keep pushing yourself? Uh, you know, what's kind of unique about that was when I was going through the cancer, my, uh, my son was two and my daughter was five. So there was a lot of motivation there and they would, you know, come into the room and the doctors would let them stay in there and they'd bounce on my bed until, you know, I'd get super tired or whatever. So I always had this motivation to, I mean, I got to be here for them. I got to, I got to keep fighting to watch them grow up. And so that was a big motivation. So, you know, being a, a parent, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, definitely after coming back from, from the cancer, you have a different focus that you want to definitely make sure you are there for those people that are in your life. And I was there. I mean, they grew up in the gym, so they're always there. But it kind of slows you down in a way. And because now you're you're you look at simple things a lot with a with a greater reverence. Like you can look outside my window right now and see the buds on the trees coming out and the grass starting to turn green and you know and and you start to appreciate those things way more. And I'll tell you this, this is one thing that definitely you start to look at what you thought was a pretty big deal before. And it's kind of like a trivial pursuit now. It's like, really? That's not that big of a deal at all. And I always, and I always have this own little mantra. It's like, well, no matter what's happening, I'll go, well, you know what? It ain't cancer. I can tell you that. It's it's amazing when I hear like speak to people. Yeah, it's that level of mental strength. That kind of yeah, it tried, it didn't win. 
I'm off to do so. Yeah. And I, I always admire people like you. And it's like, you've built up this amazing business. You've, you coach people that you've, you know, you bounce back from two like really serious illnesses and you've still got that joy and lust for life. And I think if we could coach that, if we could teach people that, because it's so sad to think there's people going through life just now who aren't going and getting what they wanted out of life or they don't realize their true potential. And I think that's the problem is, We've got coaches for sports and stuff like that, but we don't always have great life coaches. You know, we don't have people who can show you what's you know possible. And it's amazing, like that there'd be people there who don't realise what their potential is. That's why I started the podcast. I wanted to have a an outlet to speak to people, even if it's just to help myself, of realising what we were uh, what we're truly able to do, and just listening to amazing guys like yourself who can explain to people and teach them about life and coaching it is that is that why you still get the same joy out of coaching now that you did all these years ago yeah i mean i look at it i look at uh, the coaching as far more than just making great fighters you know for now i look at it and i go man i got all these guys that were that were just like me that are gonna someday you know be done with fighting and now how are they going to continue on to to live their life and be successful far beyond you know the cage or the ring that they're in and so there's so many life lessons that they that that you can start to bring into the to the different fighters and you know that's something that i think is is kind of fun too because i'll i bring up stuff all the time like so guys would be getting tired i go yeah you, you think you're tired, but you know what? When you're going through your, about your sixth round of chemo, that's when you really feel tired. So how about you suck it up and get going? <laughs> it's and amazing you can. Yeah, you're right. And then they start pushing farther. You know, So I'll look at it like that and say, yeah, you think you're tired? There are different levels, my friend. Keep going. <laughs> I, I love that kind of light work. It's just like... You think you're, ah, I'll show you tired. I mean, what's the evolution then for you? I mean, you know, you've trained world champions, you're teaching like the high school kids, you're, you're a dad, you've kicked cancer's arse, you know, you've done your podcast, well, you're still doing your podcast, sorry. You've got the amazing facility. What do you want the evolution of your business to be? I mean, where can you go or are you just happy day in, day out coaching people, learning about life and just enjoying just the the fun from it all well you know probably in the last i don't even know maybe five or six years i've you know martial arts is my is my focus but my whole thing is you know i want to be able to point people to be healthier and happier it's pretty pretty simple because you know i you know you have so many uh whatever entrepreneurial coaches and wealth coaches and this coach and that coach that are telling you how to be successful and this and that. But, you know, for me, the greatest success is that you are, you're healthy and you're happy because I have friends and I know people and I, that, you know, they have very little, but they are the healthiest, happiest people on the planet. And I had a really good friend who was a multi, multi-millionaire, super successful, you know, trader on, on at the World Trade Centers and all this. And he killed himself. Just wasn't enough. And I'm like, 
gosh, man. So for me, I really want to, if I could change people in the fact that to look at life in a way that, hey, it's about being healthy and doing what you love to do and you know, do what you love to do and, and do it like you love it. Don't forget about the joy, about why you're doing something. Don't forget about the fact that it's you can have fun and at the same time excel. But more than anything, it's about being healthy, being healthy and having a good, having more energy, more vibrancy, having good mental well-being and physical and mental you know, toughness to get through problems. That is a, a huge thing. And that's really kind of, even through the martial arts, how I try to steer people is to be healthier and happier. And if martial arts is your vehicle to do it, then, hey, I'm your guy. Oh, it's awesome. I love the way that you look at life and I'm I'm so happy that you managed to, you know, come back even better and stronger and the your outlook is amazing. I mean, I would love to do a round two soon. I mean, I know we're well over a time limit and I really feel like I've had so much fun chatting to you, but what do you want from people listening to this? What do you want them to take away from this? You know, as a sort of like a go home message because you've given gem after gem today, but if you had one thing for them to kind of remember and really apply to their life, what do you think it would be? You know, I would have to say that almost where I ended off this whole conversation is really look at the things that you can control in your life, like your health, as far as what you do, how you eat, your training, uh, and and find that thing in your life that you truly enjoy, that you can always go to, to just get away from, you know, everybody has bills, everybody has their maybe their job that they have to do, but find that thing in your life that is your, that is your absolute joy, and just don't lose the joy for it. That is such a huge thing, and and that's why even within our fighters, I tell them to have fun. Remember why you do this. This is a this is an enjoyment, you know, a, a thing we get to enjoy. So enjoy the time that you're here, and be focused on your health and happiness. And I think that's the biggest thing because so many people are about go go go, rush rush rush, do do do, grind grind grind. I go, man, I push pretty hard, but I don't think of it as a grind. I think of it as a, you know, hey, this is I get to do this. I don't have to do it. That's a great way of doing it. It's that mindset change into it. It's not I have to go to training. It's oh, brilliant! I get to go to training, or it's training time. You know, it's like you can flip the switch and make anything a positive. And I think you're right. We do sometimes. You know, we're constantly that motion of you have to be pushing and grinding twenty four seven. You're like, no, enjoy life and uh, enjoy the small things that makes you happy and. If you're doing something that makes you happy and content, go for it. You know, enjoy life. And we live in a society where we're taught that we have to be, you know, Calvin Klein models. We have to have six packs. We have to do this. We have to do that. And I think we've forgotten how to enjoy the joy of life. And you found something that you're amazing at is coaching and bringing on and inspiring people. And it, it's, you know, you're, the work you do is amazing. And it's, I'm so glad that you're still 
you know, still alive and kicking and you're just going back and stronger and stronger. So how can people get in touch with you, come and train, view the facilities, listen to the podcast, connect with you on social media? You know, how can we kind of keep up with what you're doing? Well, um, we have our website for our school, which is theacademymn.com. And that's our, our website for the school on uh, Instagram. You're Greg Nelson, MMA. Um, I, I throw stuff up there all the time. And, you know, just little things that I'm thinking about or training sessions. And uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook. And for me, I, I keep things pretty simple. And is there anything that you've got coming up just now that you want to promote? Anything that you think people should check out? Well, I have my uh, online university, which is Greg Nelson, uh, MMA.com. And I have, uh, you know, just a bunch of training stuff up there. And I also have uh, a lot of mindset and motivation things on there as well. And that's something to look into. So that's Greg Nelson, MMA.com. And, uh, other than that, it's just uh, that's kind of my focus right now. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.